1: If I learned one thing in the last year, it's that falling into debt can happen to anyone. Luckily, I heard about the ISI, the Insolvency Service of Ireland. Their professional advisors can help you restructure or even write off your debt. The first thing they said to me was, every debt problem has a solution. I can still feel the relief. So if you're worried, visit their website backontrack.ie or free text get help to 50015.
0: The ISI. Together, we'll get you back on track. Well, the Rugby Life interviews are coming thick and fast, listeners. I'm Lee, as you know. Uh, Josh is not here today, it's just me. You can get in touch with me at Blood and Mud if you want to. But who is here today, your guest in this episode, is Chris Corcoran. Hello, Chris.
1: Hey, Lee, how's it going?
0: Not too bad, mate, not too bad. Thanks for agreeing to come on.
1: Oh, my pleasure, mate. Thanks for inviting me on. It's uh, I'm really looking forward to it.
0: Good one. Uh, so we're going to talk to you a bit about your life. Well, let's talk about you. You were born and raised in South Wales. You. Can I
1: just say before before we kick off? Yeah. How how much fun it is to be uh talking about rugby with someone who sounds 87% like Brian Moore.
0: Do I? <laughs> I've never thought I've I've never had that before. <laughs> He's from Yorkshire. Oh, I'm from Lancashire. I could get really upset about that, but I'll take it for what it's intended. We're both northern. Oh, well, that was, yeah, that
1: was one of my questions as whether you kind of grew up in the same neck of the woods. But that's a real massive We grew up in. V, from my we, we from grew my up in the
0: north. Yeah, where are oh, where, where, where clearly so where we're clearly all the same. But
1: yeah, just end the American Canadian thing. Oh God, No, but
0: I moved away from Lancashire when I was about twelve, so my accent has tailed off a bit. So I do actually have. I do sound just kind of generically northern now. I suppose. Do so.
1: you know, that, that, that rivalry as well, that two, when I lived in uh, Swansea, uh, I lived in a student house when I was in Swansea Uni, and t- I, two of the friends I lived with, one was from Yorkshire and one was from Lancashire, and uh, the guy from Yorkshire played hooker for the firsts, hmm. and the guy from Lancashire was uh, a footballer, and he, he was like uh, six foot six, and just kind of, he, didn't, he wouldn't allow us to have a heating on type guy <laughs> and so it was like you know oh it's just is just bracing and it'd be like minus three and there'd be like frost on the inside of the windows and we, we'd sit and we'd watch telly and apropos of nothing like with, with, without referring to it they would sit and just intermittently punch each other <laughs> out of the rivalry it's, it's, it's of being, deep
0: in the genes you don't is. know why you want to do it you just have to do it
1: well, clearly, the, and it, we would just sit there, you know, so me and my other mate from Cardiff be like drinking tea and eating biscuits, and they'd just be there kind of like reliving the War of the Roses.
0: <laughs> Which we won, i just like to point yeah. out. So, uh, um, yeah, so you were born and raised in South Wales, Chris, you, you yes. managed to survive into adulthood and taught history yes. at Barry Comprehensive School, and I read somewhere at a school in Hillingdon in West London.
1: Yeah, that's right, I did. Yeah. I was a head of history there.
0: Yeah, I know Hillingdon quite well, because my mother-in-law taught in a school in Hillingdon.
1: Did uh, she? She did, yeah, but it's
0: not about me, or her. So uh, uh. Um, you, ev- <laughs> you eventually felt the call to comedy and broadcasting, and your career has included, but not exclusively limited to this, rave reviews on your Edinburgh debut, lots of other stand-up stuff, TV work, including Max Boyce's World Cup journey, comedy, Six Nations, rugby stuff on, B- on the BBC, the... Interviewing people for the entertainment show, B, Cole stories and other things. You're also and you're now mostly found on radio Wales hosting your own show and helping out Rod Gilbert. Is that is that about the size of it now?
1: Yeah, that that's about the size of it. I haven't quite got my own show. That would be. Uh... Slightly disingenuous. I couldn't quite claim oh, thought, uh, my my own I thought show. Thought you did some but, Saturday um,
0: evening shows and stuff.
1: Oh no, that is true. I did do my own show for a chunk of time. That that is that is fair. I was just trying to be brutally honest and uh, <laughs> slightly slightly modest. Um, no, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. co you did. Do, uh, got, you dug up some stuff from the past there. Um, yeah, that's it. That that that's that's true. Yeah. I'm currently kind of script writing. I'm I'm sort of script writing at the moment, which is it's a bit of a varied bag. So yeah.
0: So, you're here to talk about rugby and your life and stuff like that, but yeah, love to. Uh, this is being recorded the week after Wales's grand slam win. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, we were actually going to do this last week, weren't we? But I said, well, shall we wait? <laughs>
1: yeah. And say
0: so, some maybe because <laughs> otherwise we'll be trying to make it. Although I did quite like the idea of doing, you know, like that um, Netflix bandersnatch thing. Have you seen What's that? that? It's a no, black, I mirror seen it yet. It's black mirror thing. It's a black mirror. But it's a TV show based on, you know, remember those, those books we used to get when we were kids where it said, if you want to go into room A, turn to page 27. Oh, yeah, it, it was, yeah. It's a, it's a TV show on Netflix, which is based okay. on, on that called yeah. Bandersnatch. I'll be honest, it was quite possibly the most tedious thing I've ever watched. Oh, it, was it? it, it never seems to fucking end. But it um, had
1: great reviews. Well, it's maybe it's just
0: me, but yeah, it's because it's constantly going. going then you keep coming back to where you started. You're like, this has right. been going on for about three fucking hours now. <laughs> but, um, and I'm not even that interested. But the um, but I did quite like the idea of we could have done a kind of Bandersnatch thing and go right now, Chris. Imagine that you've not won. If we recorded it last week, you know, do the bit now about you being fed up. But, oh no, you've won now. Be happy. And I could have. I could have given you options. We could have given options, yeah. We could have had sort of an A record and a B record, but we didn't. So um So you're quite happy then I imagine after the weekend.
1: Oh yeah, I I I mean what a weekend. That that the Wales result was phenomenal, and I didn't see that coming. I did think we were gonna win because of Alwyn Jones, really. He'd he'd sort of I mean, you know, he's obviously been on this leadership curve for some time, and I think the Lions. Last time out when um, uh, when he, he took off from, from Sam Warburton mm. was a, a, a big step up. And then he's been Wales captain for a chunk of time. But it was kind of like everyone is, is in awe of Alumin Jones. But then all of a sudden he kind of stepped into the category of Martin Johnson, Richie yeah, McCall, yeah. John Eales and kind of transcended... He's become one for on the, the ages, pitch. hasn't he? He's become he really has, not just one yeah. of the best
0: players that's, of the decade we've been watching, he's become one of the best players of any decade now.
1: Yes, and, and that's, that's happened sort of all of a sudden, if you see what I mean. Like he's he suddenly reached that level. So going into the game, I was so confident that he was leading the team so well, and, they were play, and they've obviously got such a great culture. Um, and then he's obviously playing so well with people like Justin Tipperick in in defence and their defensive system is so strong. I did think we were going to win. I did think it was going to be close-ish and I thought Ireland might have got a bit of form back. But to see Wales just destroy them And they did destroy
0: them absolutely everywhere, yeah.
1: Absolutely everywhere. As an outsider
0: looking in, I live in Wales, but as an outsider looking in... um, it was it was from five minutes in, not really ever in
1: doubt. Really, it was weird because <laughs> Ireland it just the, couldn't
0: put anything together at all.
1: They couldn't. It was the most complete Welsh performance I think I've ever seen, and I was uh, you know I've seldom been that confident as you say within a within about I don't know 10, ten minutes or whatever to think. Hang on a minute, this is I can't see how Ireland get back into this. Mm. It was absolutely phenomenal. T- tipped off by that lovely clip that's been going on Twitter of. Jonathan Davis coming up to Alumin Jones at the end of the game, and it being clear from is um, mm. reading his lips that he says, "Thank you, mate. I love you." And it's done the round. They hadn't even had a drink. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> that's a proper eleven o'clock
0: at night after the game, job in <laughs> yeah. my experience.
1: Yeah, well, quite. But I mean, I think I shows... fucking love
0: playing with you, mate. I fucking love you. Yeah, I love you. But that's normally five you. hours hence of when it happened, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I love you. It's my round, <laughs> uh, but that was—it was truly fantastic. Yeah, and and it really, um, it really suggested that they have got something. They are peaking, they are peaking at the right time going into the World Cup, and um, it is—it's really exciting because I think that they've got that balance now of. In, really brilliant coaching team the defence Sean Edwards is clearly done an unbelievable job um, so the coaching team is on its highest point you got the, the captain is at the peak of his powers and the team is playing for each other with that kind of love that they kind of got in the group for each other um, and they've got a mixture of young players and experienced players and it blows my mind I think that we're second in the world and that we shouldn't be shy of saying, Do you know, I think Wales have got a really good chance to win the World Cup because I think we do.
0: Oh, now you've fucked it. The only way is down.
1: <laughs> no, well, I see. The, the normal Welsh thing to do would be to go all in, sort of insular and go, Oh, boys, don't talk about it. Oh, <laughs> God, if you say it out loud, you're going to jinx it. But, you know, bollocks, it's like having I Josh really... back on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really think that. Um... Uh, and I think it's significant that Gatland has made a point of saying, yeah, well, I think we're gonna, we've got a good chance of winning this, that I think we're going to win it. Because there comes a point where you've just got to be confident in what you've got. Um, and I also think, though, that it falls at the right time in terms of the other teams in the world. Because Australia and South Africa aren't what they were. And yeah, OK, they'll come back and they'll peak a bit for the World Cup, no doubt. But they're not the forces they were. Ireland seems to have just gone a little bit old and maybe they're not quite the force they were. God only knows what's going on with England. One minute they look like they are. I mean, when they beat when they beat Ireland, I was texting my English mates going, that's it, that is that is a Grand Slam winning team. When you've got Tuolangi mm. and Slade suddenly playing together and they are playing so dominantly with all the strike runners that they've got, that is a World Cup winning team. And then to flip of a coin, play one way in one half and then another way in another half, like they did against Wales and then Scotland. I, and then for Eddie Jones to start blaming everybody else, including England's performance at the last World Cup, in which hardly any of the players are playing, I don't know what's going on with England. So, I mean, they've got the potential to win the World Cup, but they're all over the place. Um, and so you've got that consistency with Wales that so you just think, well, hang on a minute, New Zealand are clearly the team to beat, but are they not even quite what they were like last couple of times out? So there just feels like a real opportunity.
0: Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, I remember going into 2003, as in, having watched England for those past five years, up to that, and thinking, I remember I was playing rugby in Cardiff at the time, and I remember somebody saying to me, do you think they're going to win it? And I said, I think I, I'm going to predict confidently we're going to get to the final. Yeah. And then a one off game, you never know. But what I can say is that we've got enough and we should have enough to get everything yes. to get to the final. And I think maybe that's how well she'd be looking at it. I don't know.
1: I, I think so. And it, I mean, it was a similar momentum, see, wasn't it? Because, like, England had gone down and they'd beaten New Zealand and they'd beaten. We'd beaten Australia. everybody home and
0: away in the two years leading up to it, yeah.
1: Yeah. And so you have gone into it going, okay, well, it's, we're, we're, we're really good. You know, we're, we're really good and we should win. And you this. won the Grand Slam, the, of course. And you won the Grand Slam. Finally. And in a funny way, it was their. Um, they almost butchered it. I mean, they, they I mean, England were. I was so confident that England were going to win that the final. I couldn't. I remember watching it with. I was at uh, comedian Greg Davis's house, and I was. We were watching it in the lounge, and for the last ten minutes of the two thousand three World Cup final, I watched it from the doorway of the lounge <laughs> for no other reason other than. I could only fix one eye on the TV. The other eye, I had sort of squeezed past the doorway because I couldn't bear the idea that the Aussies were going to come back into it and they were going to win it because I, I really wanted England to win. Because Did you it, really? It, it, yeah. Oh, God, yeah, because it was a Northern Hemisphere. It was a Northern Hemisphere result and they deserved it and they were the best team. And when, when it's kind of credit where it's due for me that, um, you know, I love seeing Wales beating England. It, it really is probably the only game that really really gets me up because it's england and and that's fantastic fun but that when you've cheered for DeLalio and martin johnson and matt dawson playing for the lions and then they go and they face the aussies in the world cup final for the first time a northern hemisphere side's got a chance of winning it for me it's like uh you back you you've got to back england there and it was brilliant to see them win
0: yeah it was a and it's been absolutely, probably, mostly shit ever since, which is nice. <laughs> so, um, the, so uh, yeah. Well, well, how
1: would you explain? I mean, I'm fascinated with, with what you think's going on. Just quickly, with right with Eddie. now, or since um, yeah, right now.
0: <laughs> um, I think there is a. You mentioned Alan wynne Jones, and the leadership that he provides. I think that plus you've got a, quite a strong core of experienced lions with Wales. I, don't, I think there's a leadership problem with England in that. I'm, right. What Eddie Jones said, and it's, he was wrong, but if you look at it, we've got the same leadership group that we had in 2015.
1: Right. We've got Farrell, right.
0: we've got Launchbury, we've got Ben Youngs. You know, they're the ones who should be the kind of leadership group. Itoji yeah. wasn't playing. He's a quite a natural leader. Yeah. And I do think there is something about that group that doesn't do whatever Alan jones does. Right, so there's that, that makes sense. And then I think there's, then there's a wider squad experience issue. I remember going into the last World Cup. I remember thinking the players that we've got have got enough caps are not good enough, oh, and the ones that's that we and the ones and the ones that we don't have that are good enough haven't got enough caps,
1: aren't experienced enough. That's and really I, interesting. And I think
0: as you go into this World Cup, I worry that the leadership group that now do have enough caps or should have are still not quite doing it. And I think that the, the longer Hartley's away, the more valuable he seems. And, it's, and it starts to explain why he was selected in the face of people who were playing better, in lots of wow. people's opinions.
1: That makes total sense. Absolutely makes total sense. Because you, you would have picked... Um, what's his name? Bob who plays hooker at the moment. Jamie George. Yeah, you'd have picked Jamie George you know, off the back of the lines and all that. you go, well, he's got to play he's miles better than Hartley. But it is yep. that role... <laughs> It is that role that they bring of captaincy that clearly Hartley is really good at when he's yeah. not poking people in the yeah, eye, indeed. biting people, he's setting fire up. things on the pitch, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> driving Land Rovers through the car park yes. over other people's cars, you know, and all that, and all that kind of Leaving stuff. stuff. Leaving
0: <laughs> 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 that aside, great leader, great leader, great guy. Yeah. But
1: he's clearly, yeah, clearly that role. He, 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 immobilizes everybody. Wow, that's really interesting.
0: So yeah, so we'll see. I don't know. But obviously I said this on the pod last week, I'll just say it again quickly because the same people have listened to this probably, but um um the I, I still think there's more positives coming out of this year's tournament than la- than the entirety of last year for England. There's issues there, but we've shown yeah. enough to build on. I think we can just the thing with we we lost it with Scotland. I don't think I don't think it's because we had got a fragility thing. It's because we started taking the piss too early. Yeah, we got into a very comfortable position where we yeah. thought that Henry Slade back pass at the back of the hand after half an hour was a bit. Yeah. That's not a good sign. It's a good sign in a way that he's a very good player, but it's yeah. not a good sign in that you start to think that these are given up now.
1: Yeah, and, and yeah, that you're gonna yeah. You're going to grind
0: him into the day. It didn't quite happen. So I think. No. And the thing is, you always learn. You know, you can do nothing but learn from this. So you hope that they'll be learning something. Right then. Yeah,
1: you you do you because know, they are they are world class potentially the players.
0: Yes, it's interesting. I think if everyone can start playing, well, it should be a good World Cup. But um, so talking about you then, Chris. Yeah, I said you were born in South Wales. What? Let, let's get more specific then. Whereabouts in South Wales were you born oh. and raised? Well, I wasn't. You?
1: I was born. I was born in Bristol.
0: Oh, sorry.
1: Right. No, no, that's okay. It's uh, it's something that my uh, granddad used to wind me up about because he was English <laughs> He used to wind me up about for uh, until he died. <laughs> um for for of uh, all my life. Um because I grew up a um do you wanna get do you need to get that? No. Okay. Um I grew up a uh, very, very passionate Welshman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was kind of I was about I was born born accidentally on the wrong side of the bridge as a result of my dad's job. my mum and dad are Welsh. And then
0: um is yeah, an I, Irish name, though, isn't it? An Irish and is
1: an Irish name, yeah. So my so my dad's side's kind of Irish goes back sort of uh Great, uh, great, great grand well there was great grandparents is kind of the right, irish yeah. thing and um uh yeah so then and then i grew up in pontypreth and i have no recollection of losing my english accent but uh, somehow or other it happened and then i got a welsh one and grew up a uh, a very passionate so um, how old were you when you moved to
0: pontypreth? Pardon? How old were you when you moved to Pont-a-Pribe?
1: Oh, I was about 5 maybe oh, right, five okay. or 6 years old so um you know, kind of just, just starting school. And I can remember my first day. At, I, I don't know if it was my first day, but I remember it as my first day. It was St. David's Day. And um, I, so I, I just remember, like, all the kids walking around with what what I what, what were giant leaks, but they weren't, they were little kids, but <laughs> walking, around, walking around with leaks on their jump. And I just remember thinking, this is weird. What What's going on here? What's all this about? And then uh and daffodils and all of that, and then kind of and then singing about uh, Great St. David and then very, very quickly just kinda of got sucked into the whole thing and it felt very natural that I was I was there. And of course my dad was you know, mum and dad were Welsh, so um, hmm. I kind of uh So you're Welsh yeah, really.
0: Yeah, you're yeah. Welsh,
1: aren't you? Uh, pardon?
0: You're Welsh, aren't you? Obviously. Absolutely. I um uh, I well I moved to North Wales when I was twelve and from Lancashire and I never forget my first day of going in and I'd be told I had to get some books. And I and I said to a lad in school, I said, I said, uh, where do you keep these books? <laughs> and he and he and he's because that's what the accent, my proper accent is like, because I'm, yeah. I'm from Lee, near Wigan. And um, and he was laughing his head off, and I couldn't work out why he was laughing his head off. He <laughs> said, There's some box over here. I said, Oh, all right, okay. So sort of thing. yeah. You know, nice and welcoming. So yeah, it was alright. So did are you from a rugby family?
1: Yeah, my dad. Uh, was rugby through and through, yeah. So he played as a kid, played, um, uh, got picked for Cardiff schools Hmm. and would take his boots down to Poncana Fields, Landa Fields, and try and get games with whoever, uh, you know, whoever was short... Uh, that just needed someone to play. And so, and he took me to, um, I kind of grew up with a split personality in a, in a, in a weird way that um, I was both a Ponty fan and a Cardiff fan. Good um, Lord. You want an England yeah, to win a
0: World Cup? You're a Ponty <laughs> fan and a Cardiff fan. You're, you're, a, you're, a,
1: you're <laughs> a, a mess. <laughs> Lee, when it comes to rugby, I'm a Maverick. Um, so, yeah, because my dad was Cardiff. So, my dad was Cardiff through and through. So, he would take me to, um, the Cardiff games, and that's what I fell in love with watching rugby. Um, and I grew up in Pont and played for Ponty under 15, so Ponty schools. Mm. Uh, and so that, that I just remember the moment I because at the time the jerseys were the same jerseys that the men's team wore. Uh, and Did I they have gym- buy
0: as you view written on the front, or was that, was that, was that, was that <laughs> no? Pretty-
1: we did. We weren't sponsored. I imagine that we have some sort of TV rentals sponsorship on there. I the knew front. nothing
0: about what buy as you view was at the time, and then you look back now, and it was the most disgraceful scheme ever created by anybody. We yeah, had to put went, well, money in the side of your telly to watch it, and he ended up paying like nine grand for a fucking fourteen inch. Is portable. that what it was? Yeah, you put
1: money you, like a fruit machine. Literally,
0: buy as you view. Yeah. Well, you can It was basically like the bright house for the analog age. You know.
1: Oh, wow. I, I never quite realised that because everyone rented their tellys in the valleys in the 80s. Oh, everyone rented no, their tellies
0: full stop on your washing machine. What was that all about?
1: Yeah, but uh, I didn't realise you put money into it.
0: Yeah, it was literally, yeah. Oh, wow.
1: Well, I didn't have that on the front, but I do no. remember kind of um, having, just pulling that jersey on and, and feeling quite emotional because mm. I was super proud to have played Ponty Schools at, you know, under 15 so i was, so I was a, a proper kid but it really felt like something it was you're great. quite
0: decent though because quite a lot of school kids playing rugby in pond to breathe isn't there
1: there was yeah i'm I'm super proud of that yeah i think that's probably my 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 highlight of my rugby career was at the age of 15 <laughs> and it was it was playing for ponty schools and we got we got knocked out of the main cup in the first game or something and then we went on and won the shield and playing at the brewery field was uh was was amazing beating bridge Mark, in someone who I remember was about six inches taller than me, because I was playing in the second row at the time, and uh, and kind of and then still sort of like holding my own. It was great. It was just fantastic. I loved it. So I so I had a real split personality when I came to the rugby, um, both kind of like Pontian and Cardiff. But my dad used to take me to watch that amazing Cardiff team in the eighties that had um, Terry Holmes and mm. Gareth Davis and uh, and then my all-time rugby hero Mark Ring, who was. A
0: magician. Oh, he's um, a ridiculous player.
1: He's,
0: he's ap- quite quite mad now, but he's a <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: He's a proper character. That's for he's, sure. a, he's very and entertaining
0: he, on Twitter. Yeah, he, he came yeah. up with some <laughs> brilliant rule changes last week that he thought should should fly.
1: Did he? Did he? What What were they? Can oh, you I'm trying to
0: remember now. I really, you you're not allowed to do an end over end kick. You can only do a spiral kick, and you get a, it's like your penalty if you don't do a spiral kick.
1: Oh, I like that because he no, says I people should be
0: should be thinking outside the box to make the game more impressive yeah. something about off the back of a line out four was not allowed to take a drive right it was all like stuff to try and get the game more free flowing but if you just applied even one like molecule of sense to how it's refed in a real-time <laughs> scenario it all just starts to fall away you know but, he was, but, but bless him yeah
1: but he, he really was a genius and it's where I it's where and it's just the way he used to throw dummies and because I, I and so I loved I kind of, I kind of grew up with um, with the sort of handle the handling potential of a number ten, and the athletic pace of of a of a sofa. I mean, I or just I just I was not so I I ended up trying to make trying to play in the back row as much as I possibly could because I was trying to masquerade as a back, but I just did not have any pace. The only thing that changed in me when I tried to sprint was that my head pushed forward. Do you know what I mean? I had no gas at all.
0: Yeah, um, I pl- I played um wing or centre in rugby league when I played. Yeah. I played that to start with and I played that at uni. And I was exactly saying an absolutely shocking and diabolical lack of pace. Almost yeah. almost comedy level. So yes, when I started playing so... when I started playing rugby union I actually went into blindside because well, I could do this job.
1: Yeah. There you go. And so we had a bit, you know, a bit more kind of like uh, a bit more longevity, but it was so frustrating because that's because I didn't have any power either. I was like, I was, I was kind of like the anti-asset. I was a real wannabe. Well, like, like 40, like 14, 15, I was okay. Cause I was really, really fit. Cause I'd been a swimmer, right? Uh, like a competitive swimmer at the kind of club level. But I was, that meant that I was unbelievably fit. And so, and I was strong enough for that age group. But then as I became an adult, it, it was, became a, abundantly clear that i didn't have the pace or the power <laughs> to cope with this game but yet had the vision and the skills of maverick rugby player my hero mark ring and so i was kind of like everyone's i suppose while well, thinking about it i don't know where i used to contribute on the pitch <laughs> if,
0: <laughs> it's a very niche I, role yeah
1: it's a very niche role yeah and, must, and one that must have only infuriated my teammates you but, could have been, uh, um, I'm sure
0: you could have been one of those number 10s that never runs, just a, yes. an old school well, an old school pivot, you know?
1: Well, Gareth Rees from Canada was my hero. I thought, I could do that. He just standing there, look. I've you know, told this story before.
0: It. I saw him play against Cardiff when I first moved to Cardiff in 1998. Yeah. And he was properly the fattest thing I've ever seen. He looked about <laughs> six months pregnant. And he just didn't run at all. And I thought, fucking yeah. fair play to you, Gareth.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Or like, you know, all that Jan molby type role mm. where you just sort of stand in the middle. Yeah. I was going to say Andy Andy Goode, but he's quick. So I mean I, I you know, I just didn't didn't have Andy any Gould pace. Goode wasn't quick.
0: Alex Goode's pretty nippy. Andy Goode. No, wasn't.
1: Andy Goode Andy Andy Gould looked like he should be really slow, but he, he had, when he bothered he, he had a real turn of pace, didn't he? Ooh, he I did. He was put maybe compared to
0: you and me, Chris. Maybe that's what all we're right, doing.
1: Well he... <laughs> Oh, that reflects so badly on Andy Gould. That leaves <laughs> him a disservice.
0: I don't think there's anything that can reflect badly on Andy Goode, the way he, <laughs> the way he carries himself for the minute. But there you go. Um, so yeah, so you grew up. You played for Ponty schools. Did you? Yeah. Did you continue playing for clubs up into your adult years when you were teaching and stuff?
1: Uh, yes, I played for. Well, I went and played for Lanharan Youth. Mm-hmm. That was um, a lesson in survival. Because they were maniacs, and I was all, and I was a terrible, terrible fighter. I mean, just, I mean, I would do everything to avoid it. Of, of, like, if a fight broke out, which not only did it. It's amazing how much
0: your rugby career sounds like mine. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I'm not interested in that. No, I'll tackle if you want, but I'm not interested in that.
1: That's right. Yeah. I mean it's just pointless me getting involved, guys, because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I'm not gonna help this situation, you know. So I would only help so if I, you
0: if you hit people with me. As a, <laughs> yeah. Like a club. That's I that could be useful to you.
1: That's right. Or I could stand around like Reese Moggs attitude to the working classes, kind of pointing and, and directing people <laughs> into fight each other and then just sort of stand back and pass comments. I mean I'd be I'd have been good at that. But um yeah, I was terrible. So I would do everything I can to avoid. And that was, but I, that was fantastic. I had a fabulous season. I really enjoyed that playing for Lanaran Lan Youth. That was, that was great fun. And then uh, adult rugby, I played for, um, I went to university then, I played for like Swansea University Seconds, and that was fun. And then um, I went to do my teacher training. Went and did my teacher training in, uh, uh, and I was living in Bognor Regis. So I played for, made my debut for Bognor Regis fifth. Which was uh, a really fun. Actually, that's, a, that's quite. A, that's a good story as to uh, as an example of why I wasn't really built for rugby. Actually, because we were playing Bognor, Regis fifth, and I was fairly fit, and I was playing number eight, and I was sort of li- running around thinking I was, you know, Scott Quinell or Delalio, kind of like <laughs> bumping some people off and scoring the odd try all in the, all in the, this first game, you know, and then. The and I can't remember who you were playing. Something like Hazelmere or, or you know, Hazelmere Fourth or something <laughs> like that, right?
0: Uh, Big tie, whatever it was. Yeah,
1: it was a huge, huge game. <laughs> huge game. And um, and there was this little balding ginger guy playing flanker who must have been five foot six and about two, thirteen stone. And I so I was leaping around, enjoying myself, having a smashing game. it was sun, it was summer, sun was out. I ran at this guy and I was like, and I ran into it. It was a brick wall. I ran into a brick wall. I thought, oh, hang on a minute. That's, that's a bit random. <laughs> and me just caught me unawares. So it's like played on. And I sort of, next time I had the ball, I ran at him again. I thought, right, just make sure. I just need to check what happened last time by running at this guy. And I ran at him as hard as I could and kind of got my position right this time. Bang, brick wall. <laughs> and I thought, Okay there's something going on here this this is a bit random because compared to the rest of the people who were playing for their team uh, he this didn't make sense and and he was kind of old as well like he was this really gra- kind of gravelly old guy anyway um, I think I, perhaps I ran into him once more during the game and he like hitting a brick brick wall and afterwards in the bar I was chatting to one of their players I wish I could remember I wish he gave me a name and I can't remember the name but he did he did say it but and I said I told him this story I said this this happened and he went oh yeah well he used to play for Bath and and whoever it was had had, had a you know like 20 years earlier had played for Bath and this guy was made of granite <laughs> he was made of something that I wasn't made of I was not made of the same stuff so my adult rugby was was you know made up of just like avoiding fighting, um, trying not to run into old guys that had played at a higher level that were made of absolute stone, and uh, all the time trying to sort uh, of throw throw a dummy and, and uh, do something mercurial. Um, and then I played for Lantabarda then as well. So my my home village, uh, which is Neil Jenkins's village, mm. um, so we uh, yeah played for Lantabarda sort of. Um, Men's and really enjoyed that as well. It was that was fab. That was, that was my rugby career.
0: Acast recommends
1: podcasts we love. Change Makers is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now.
0: So you um like it a bit like friend of the pod Mike Bobbins. Oh. you became a teacher. I did. He was a teacher. Took a strangely slightly stranger route to it than you did, but he, he became a teacher. Um, but ended up a comedian. Yeah. So. What is it about teaching that makes people want to want to become comedians, or is it, or is it something else? Did you were you always funny? You One of those people in the club who can make
1: people laugh. Well, that's the that's the strange. That, well, um, no, the funniest people in the in the rugby club. I wasn't funny at all. It, everyone else was. I mean, rugby club people are just really funny. Yes, and, and some of the, I mean, just some of the funniest most just some of the times I've laughed the hardest have been in rugby clubs and amongst rugby people. So, no, not really. I I wasn't the kind of like uh, the funny guy in the rugby club, but I'd always kind of been... I'd always enjoyed a good laugh and then been able to make people laugh a bit, you know, like my mates at school and stuff. Um, And as far as teaching goes, I think it's maybe... uh, It's a bit similar. It's like, you know, you're stood in front of an audience a bit, so it's just that, like, kids you need to educate um, and when you do stand up you just you know you just an audience need to make a laugh but it's the same dynamic as kind of standing in front of people i suppose so, what, so but i i never set out to be a stand up see i i kind of left teaching wanting to script write oh, right, and okay. um and i just sort of fell into the stand uh, the, the stand-up. i just worked out
0: to a lot of people stand up seems like the most terrifying thing in the world to do you have to have an, an, you know an, an all consuming desire to get out there because it's yeah. so utterly terrifying
1: yeah yeah
0: so it's always interesting when because funny enough mike said the same you went to go to a script writing course and ended up on a stand-up comedy course and there you go i did the same thing yeah so there is something like that so it is a bit like so i suppose I try to explain that a bit more. how do you for people who can't really get their head around it how do you end up accidentally being a stand-up given well, that you've really <laughs> got to put yourself out there to do it <laughs>
1: That's a great setup. That's a great question. How did you accidentally become kind of a stand-up? Because that's pretty much um, what it what it was. I well, I met. I was introduced to Greg Davis before he was Greg Davis. Greg so Davis he was the new, very
0: tall guy from the Inbetweeners and numerous yeah. other
1: things and Welsh comedian. Yeah, that's right. So we had a mutual friend, so someone I used to uh, train with when I was living in London, uh, introduced, and I was kind of getting into script writing and making little kind of comedy clips and stuff with him just for shits and giggles and, and, having, a, and having a laugh. Mm. And, um, and I was kind of coming out, I was sort of spending my weekends writing comedy sketches and sort of sending them off places and not getting anything away, but just kind of felt like it was it was there and I had stuff to kind of, ideas to write down, I suppose. Um, and then he introduced me, we were in the Clapham Grand and he said, I said, oh, I got I, one of my mates over there, he's just done stand-up course. And he'd gone and it was Greg Davis and he'd gone, to, they'd gone to college together. So we just had a chat about it and he said, you've got to do this course I've just done. He said, because um, the thing about the stand-up is it's the thing that goes the fastest. So you can kind of get out there into the comedy world, if you like, and go and meet people. Whereas writing, no one knows who the hell you are and no one gives a mm. shit. If you, have, if you haven't written anything, or they don't know who you are, then no one really takes stuff unless, you know, if you're Ronnie Barker you're a genius, fair enough, it'll probably stand on its own. <laughs> yes. But if you're not, um, then there's another way you need to do it. And so uh, so we just said, go and do this course, because I'd just done it with Rod Gilbert, and um, they were on the same course, so that's how they sat exam- So I was like, okay. So I went and did the next one, and it was like i I'm a- sure
0: a lot of people would be really surprised to know that these, like, really leading Welsh comedians, yourself, Mike, Greg, Rod yeah. Gilbert... All went on a course, yeah. Because <laughs> I think a lot I'm of people must think you, have to, you know, you have to be like Lenny Bruce and tortured and desperate and kind of then, you know, find yourself out there. Whereas it's yeah. it's interesting, isn't it? Since that people it took a kind of a sort of <laughs> adult, yeah, uh, it was it further education college route to it, you know.
1: I mean, don't get me wrong, Lee, There wasn't a PowerPoint, right? I mean, it was yeah. we didn't sit around in a the lecture theatre, right, <laughs> being taught how to do it. It was it wasn't like that sort of course, right? And there wasn't an exam it it was it was like a um, you know it was it was done, done by a guy called Logan Murray who was um uh one of the, one of the first like stand ups paid stand-ups in from the 80s really and it was all kind of improv and kind of performance stuff um but yeah so so greg did it rod gilbert did it Marek laward did it uh, tom rigglesworth did it they they're all you know people who really came through and it was and it was just all it did really was it gave you the confidence to go and stand on stage and not make a load of schoolboy errors. Mm. Um, But it didn't make you funny, if you like, or it didn't give you the confidence to do it, or it didn't, do you know what I mean? So you have to sort of feel like, one of the best bits of advice Logan said was, he said, if you can feel like you can probably do it, then you probably can, because most people can't. And I think that's a really good bit of advice for anything, really, that if you think, oh, maybe I could have a go at that. I mean, sometimes you can be overconfident and then go and do something (laughs) and bugger it up. But... um, if there's something in you
0: that thinks oh I could have a crack at that, then uh you pro- you sort of
1: probably could.
0: There's something there's something going on that you've That's
1: think you could why could have there's
0: about at. nine billion podcasts created a day, you see? Yes. Because there's loads of people <laughs> go, I think I could have a crack at that. I gotta go with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, 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 yeah how could it be me and three mates having a chat? Sort of thing, yeah. So you ended up so you was stand up where you got your hook into the writing then? Because obviously I mentioned at the top that you had this very well received Edinburgh debut. Now, I know it's a rugby podcast, but I think people will be interested to know this. How how does Edinburgh work? You have to pay for a venue, don't you? It costs you money to do it. Is that right? Yeah,
1: it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you go into debt. I mean, you just sort of take a punt and go into debt. I mean, I I, I was working with an agent quite early that kind of booked it, who had um, kind of bigger acts. So, you know, I was just sort of like a tiny, small that was going up but because they booked other acts then they they can book you a room and so that's how i sort of got my first room to go and do edinburgh Mm. yeah but uh, but yeah it's really expensive and um exhausting and relentless and if you unless you do it the right way it can really sort of knock you for six it's um it's it's, yeah it's it's hard going it's hard going
0: so you really so you really figure out if you want to do it after you've done that i guess
1: I think so, yeah. I think if you... Yes, I mean, you know, doing 30 nights. Basically, if you do 30 nights and you've got a brilliant show, then it's the best thing in the world. And if you've got 30 nights and you've got an 80% show, it's just torture. It's hard work. And I So in t- so that first one I did was... I mean, I was totally making it up as I was going along. There was lots of interaction. I shouldn't have gone. I wasn't prepared to go. But I kind of got away with it, and and it was you know it went, it went okay. Hmm. And then um, and then I I took another I did a tour of Wales of a, a stand up show that was went really well. And then I took a version of that to Edinburgh that following year. And then it, I hadn't quite worked it around to be universal enough. It was a little bit too. It was a
0: very Welsh audience centric. It was yeah. very
1: Welsh audience centric. Yeah, and so that was. I mean, you know, it was okay, but it that was a hard that was hard work. That that was, you know, whereas when I went up with Ellis James and uh, Verne Griffiths and did our committee meeting show, which was the last time I went to Edinburgh, that was a total joy because you do you were doing it with other people apart from anything else, and that made a difference. And and the show was good, which then takes the pressure off. And we were doing it at one in the afternoon, which was amazing because people aren't slammed and you're not exhausted and it gave me time to go to the gym it was just like oh and also to cope with the nerves as well because if you've got to get this is why i stopped doing stand-up a a lot of the reason were was because the nerves associated with performing i thought i used to be quite good at handling nerves but looking back um i don't think i mean i did it so i mean i didn't capitulate Mm. but dealing with the process of having nerves uh Looking back, I found it really, really hard. And going into performances in the evening, you know, most of the time when you're doing the comedy clubs in the UK, you're like the Glee Club in Birmingham or the Glee Club in Cardiff or the Banana Cabaret in, in London. I mean, these were fantastic stand up venues, brilliantly run clubs, and you'd have a wonderful time because stand up, when it's going well, is intoxicating. It is fantastic. Mm. But you would, so most of the time you would have a good gig and then off the back of the gig you would feel relief and then maybe rather than feeling high, you'd get relief. It's like because you've done the job as good as you should have and then the relief lasts for a couple of hours and then you go and eat something unhealthy and then you get to bed about, you know, midnight or something at past 12. And then for me, the nerves would start then going into the into the. Evening the following day, and because it's like your job of work is in the evening. You've got all day to cope with going into... To mither about
0: it, to mither yourself about it. Yeah, it.
1: yeah, absolutely. So that's... um
0: So when did you stop doing stand-up then? It's 2019 now, obviously. So when did, you're not well, doing it at all anymore.
1: Stand-up, stand-up, no, not for about oh, six or seven years. I mean, I still do you know, host award ceremonies and, and do events and all that kind of stuff where you are being funny and you are, you know, yeah. essentially doing the same job, but it's slightly more... They're just different they're di- different environments.
0: Friendly um, crowd, generally?
1: Um, yeah, if you do your homework and you kind of prep up a bit and then make it about them, it, it, you can have a lot of fun, you know. Mm. But uh, so stand-up, stand-up, not for a long time. Yeah, not for a long time.
0: And you did... Um, I remember I was living in Cardiff from 98 to 2004, Mm. And I remember you doing a lot of TV stuff around the Six Nations and TV yeah. stuff generally then. Um, and you got to interview a number of rugby players and stuff, didn't oh, you?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were great fun. They were really, really fun shows to go as a rugby fan to get a chat. It was it a was kid at Christmas job, you know, to mm. go and get involved in interviewing your heroes and the big names and following the Six Nations and stuff. That was fantastic fun. I, I, I really it, enjoyed that.
0: It's weird not being a. When I started doing the blog in 2007, um, it had been been going for about a year. It was moderately doing okay, and I got a phone call or an email came through saying, "Do you want to interview Keith Wood?" Yeah, and I was like, "Is this a joke?" Because I was just a bloke who wrote stuff on my kitchen table on a blog in typical sort of way, and I got to interview Keith. Well, only over the phone, and that, and that was the first proper interview I ever got given, and it was a kind of. That was amazing. I've
1: it's done a so few, exciting, isn't
0: yeah, it? Yeah, it was genuinely exciting. I was still interviewing him kind of as a fan, and he was a genuinely lovely, accommodating guy. He gets a lot of shit, Keith Wood, for his punditry and stuff, but actually he was actually really good. In that kind of environment, he was good value. And um and it's funny, I mean, now I'm not I'm a bit older now, I'm not but I'm not that interested in in meeting players, and that's why the tone of what we do is the way it is, really, because you know, it's almost like I'm trying to take that out of the equation in some way, right? Because they might say, "Well, he's a bit of a tit," and that's fine; I don't mind. So it's so yeah, but I do remember what it was a bit like what you just said that time when you first start meeting them.
1: Oh, it's, it is it is
0: a bit it is a bit mind blowing.
1: It is, and I get um, it's really funny. I went to see um, uh, Monty Python in uh, when they did their tour a couple of years ago, and in the green room backstage. Um, I remember being paralysed with being starstruck because, oh, the, oh on my left hand side was Michael Palin and Eric Idle. Then stood in front of me was Eddie Izzard, and then over the other side it was like the guys from the Far Show, um, Paul Whitehouse and Charlie Hickson. and and then there was uh, I think Ruby Wax, and um, and there was a, and then sort of a couple of others, and I remember being unable to know where to turn or speak or know what to do because I was so starstruck by these people. And the really funny thing was that um, I was told that uh, Charlie, Charlie Hickson and, and Paul, I think it was those two, it might not have been, but but the, the people who were kind of like famous to us were starstruck by the Pythons. And Eddie Izzard was a bit like starstruck by the Pythons. And he was turning up every night to kind of like, wow, they, they were his heroes. So there was like a hierarchy of being <laughs> starstruck. It was and like I,
0: Inception of Heroes, three yes, levels. Yes, that's
1: exactly, yeah, yeah. Everyone had that little uh, twirly thing on the table just to kind of <laughs> make sure that, that it was in reality. But, and, I, and I felt the same with rugby players because I, I was massively starstruck by rugby players. So to go and have the opportunity to meet people and then interview them was uh, just amazing. So to go to a press conference and then have a chance of interviewing, you know, sort of, to, we just uh, did a commando hit. I mean, we kind of we had our passes, but we were genuinely going there without int- without interview set up. So being able to interview Martin Johnson, um, who, you know, it was just fantastic. I was just probably, probably starstruck. Mm. And then when I got a chance to do, I will tell you what, that, my, that there was two highlights to to those series for me. What one was when there was a, a Wales training day in the stadium and TV had put me in rugby kit, I know, as they do, and, and <laughs> just strapped my ears up and stuff, right? So I was in, like, Welsh rugby kit, and it was like, oh, go on, Chris, are, you might get involved. It's like, well, can't, guys, you haven't thought, A, you haven't thought this through, and B, they're not going to let me do this. this is you should public- have seen what
0: this ex-Bath bloke did to me <laughs> at Bognor Regis one year. Please don't put me in there with them. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. If there was any, any danger, I'd have probably to have told them that story. But, <laughs> um, so they said, well, look, we'll, we'll get you to do a line-out. And I was like, all right, I can do that. And so they had a line-out with Gethin Jenkins and Adam Jones hmm. and me jumping. Uh, now, in my day, right, you, you, you went into the line-out and there was no lifting. So you stood like Bob Norster. Which was kind of like with one leg leaning back, and you sort of lean back on yourself, like Wade Dooley, you know. Oh yeah. You lean, you lean back on yourself like that, and then you sort of leap forward, or you leap up, or you leap back. But you, what I didn't realize was rugby players these days just jump vertically and then get lifted in the air. So the first, the first time I, I, I did it, I jumped, I, I kicked Adam Jones in the bollocks, which was a, <laughs> and he, he, he was a total gent. He didn't even, didn't even ref it. It's just as I landed, he said. Listen, just jump straight up. We, we'll, we'll just lift you up. Be fine. So I was like, okay, fine. So, and they'd strap my legs and everything. You know, they hadn't taken much bandage. It was like wrapping a chicken. But they, <laughs> so, so, they, so the, they, they threw the line out and they lifted me like they would lift a normal player. And I shit my <laughs> pants because now I'm 6'2. And so they lift and they're about, you know, six foot each. And then they're lifting me. Above them, above their head, so their arms another two foot, or so six, eight. So I was about you know twelve or thirteen feet in the air by the time I'm catching the ball, and I it was I had vertigo. It was terrifying. Uh, and you have so to remain
0: completely straight and locked in position; otherwise, Absolutely. it all fucking falls apart. It's, yes, <laughs>
1: or, or you end up kicking one of the it's, it's greatest an, props of all time in the box. Yeah, it's an
0: under, it's an it's an underrated athletic skill: jumping in a line out.
1: Oh, God. People oh, accept absolutely. it because it
0: just happens and you get lifted. Yeah. But it's really – there's something quite balletic about it, actually.
1: Oh, Lee, and when you think about how big these guys are and how high in the air they are, and that ground is – as you know, that doesn't get any softer. <laughs> they they are so high in the air. Anyway, so they chucked one up, and I, and I caught it, and it was like, this is unbelievable. This is the greatest thing. And I landed, and then they did another one. And then – they did right we'll do one, and I, they had a little word with each other i'm sure that, I might be making this up, but I remember it as this before the last one, they had a little word with each other, mm. and I thought, okay, this is you know they're obviously uh, they're obviously impressed with my athleticism uh <laughs> maybe there's a chance that you know they need to get me into the squad and um and this time the ball came in, they threw me up in the air, and they let go of me at the top oof. for about like. So they just just so they threw me up in the air, so I came came out of their hands.
0: What, like a toddler.
1: Like a toddler. So I must have been about I don't know. I must have been out of their hands for about 0.4 of a second, uh, and I'd gone about two inches higher. But for, I was absolutely petrified. It was terrifying. and I made an involuntary noise. I kind of was like, Wah! and then they caught me. They obviously <laughs> caught me straight away and brought me back down, and then sort of patted me on the head and was just like, "Yeah, you're not you're not built for this. You're not built for this, are you." But they were such good sports. It was. It was. They were so brilliant. They were, It was. You know. And what a! I'll never forget that. It was just an unbelievable moment. And then on the same day, Rob Howley taught me how to pass a rugby ball, and that was immense. It was like, oh my god, Rob Howley has literally showing me how to pass a rugby ball. It was just so. And cool. I'm getting paid for this. And I'm getting paid for this. Yeah. <laughs> and he and his, the tip was to to point. Once you pick the ball up. You spin past it. And, of course, because of my mercurial mark ring passing skills, I was pretty much there as it was, Lee, well, to be honest. Well, yes. Yeah. Uh, then, but then the key that I'd never realised, which was he said, as you release the ball, you point to where you want it to go. And it was such a brilliant tip because from that point on, uh, it really makes a difference if you, if you you because it re, it's really accurate. Mm. It blew my mind. And then what was really funny was I ran off the pitch then you know, bear, bear in mind, I look like I, you know, a, sort of a potato on a pair of spaghetti legs. Like I just don't look. I guess I would have looked like a 1980 second row, right? But these days, I didn't look like I should yeah. have been out on the all the wrong of,
0: form. Yeah,
1: yeah. And the and there was public, and so there were all loads of kids in watching and stuff. And there were kids trying to get my autograph because I was in Welsh kit, and I was going. No, 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 no! You don't, you don't, understand. you don't, you don't want my auto- And they were going, sign it, sign it, oh boys, sign it, sign it. And I was got like, oh no! And I, to my shame, I think I signed one. Out of I was stood next to Jamie Roberts signing autographs, having there loads to of people do
0: the autograph book going, I don't know who is this guy who played Who's for Wales? Guy? I don't remember him at all. Yeah. And they're looking it up on the internet for hours at a time. However, like though, you-, you said about being called into the squad, but a little known fact about you perhaps is that you have actually played rugby for Wales, haven't you?
1: Or, oh, play touch. Yeah. Yes. So that's yeah, what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So how does that come about then?
1: Oh, well, that was, um, well, just having played for years in uh, Cardiff High School Low Boys back in the early 2000s, late 90s maybe even. Um, we both played then, for,
0: the, we worked out we both played for the same rugby club. Yes, but that's right. But we think it was at slightly different times, I think. I think we must have, must have just have missed each other because there's no way I wouldn't have remembered you. So. No,
1: you'd have remembered the slow fat guy with the. I chicken remembered legs.
0: the potato on chicken legs, yeah. Yeah, throw, and your handling throw, skills sound like they're impossible to like, forget. So
1: throwing dummies like Mark Gray, you'd have gone, "Who the hell is that guy?
0: <laughs> How was he playing in the twos? What the fuck's going on?" Yeah, so
1: yeah, you should be carrying the sponges. <laughs> um, yeah,
0: so God, yeah, so we both, high school old boys, yeah,
1: yeah, and so, um, so the game just sort of took, uh, became more and more formally. So we've been part of the journey of it becoming. A genuine international spot. Well, it was always a genuine it used international
0: spot. The Sky Blue Boys were the first people to hold a big summer touch event, weren't they? Exactly. At the club and
1: stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So we played in all of that, and then it just got bigger and bigger. And then we kind of learnt about it more and more, and uh, it was, and then realised that you can go and play in World Cups. So went to Japan. Did you for... play for the
0: Kiwi Dragons? They were always an amazing no. touch team.
1: Yeah, I wasn't good enough to play with the Kiwi Dragons. <laughs> they they were the best. They were the best uh, touch team during that period. But then, what was brilliant was over about ten years, just the standard improved across the board. So then there was quite a few teams in that became good o- o- over that um, mm. chunk of time. And we yeah we went to World Cups. So I played in like we've been European champions um, for the. So it kind of went. So we played one tournament where we went to Japan for the first time, uh, playing for the Open. And there were, you can take a full squad of 16, right? Nine of us travelled.
0: Do you have to fund all this yourself?
1: Fund all it, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's all, all amateur. And we went, uh, we, went, we went across and we didn't really know what we were doing. So we were walking right into the lion's den because the Kiwis and the Aussies were unbelievable. You know, it's just, they are so good. And, and we got there, quick story. So we got there, and they had all sorts of – they had, like, coaches and physios and tents and – Proper-sized like legs, like, legs,
0: all kinds of stuff. Like...
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, and um, <laughs> sunscreen and I don't know. And they and – um, and we – there was nine of us that had travelled, and, and the longest conversation that we'd had about kit was whether we should have dragons on our socks. Do you know what I mean? It was like <laughs> – that the level of <laughs> preparation was fairly limited but but the brilliant thing was that we got to face a hacker all right uh, so we um and it was amazing because we played So it, it came the new zealand team had been doing a hacker before every game so we were like oh my god boys we're going to face a hacker this is going to be unbelievable and um my my captain was one of my best mates uh called julia davis who was from Kenfig Hill? He said he was like, "Oh boys, we have got it! This is unbelievable! It was, I can't believe it!" He, he, you know when he's, he, he talks, very really he sort of quickly like, "Oh boys, boys, boys! Oh boys, we're going to face a hacker! Oh my god, unbelievable! It's fantastic!" You know these sort of guys that sound like they got a lot to say, and then they, you listen to them, and then it turns out they haven't actually got very much to say, <laughs> but they like full of energy, you know, like oh my god, really enthusiastic. And he was a fantastic touch player. So anyway, we're, he in particular, but we are all really looking forward to facing this hacker. Um, but then it came to our turn to play the Kiwis and they just lined up as if to start the game, not to do a hacker. So we were the first ones that they weren't going to do the hacker in front of, right? So we ran on the pitch and we were lined up in front of them. And I think really for Julian, this had become the point of the tour. And he was, so he called us in, in a little group, and he said, boys, it doesn't look like they're going to do a hacker. Now, bear in mind, the referee stood in the middle with his whistle, ready to start the game. <laughs> so we were like, you know, yeah. And he was like, we've got to face a hacker. So he, 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 I used to tell this story on stage. And, and the line going into this goes, and J- Julian Davis did something very Welsh. <laughs> that he, he said, right, we've got to face a hacker. There's only one thing for it. I'll go and ask. And he <laughs> ran across the pitch to the Kiwis. And he asked them, and then he came running back going, They're gonna do it, they're gonna do it, There's... yeah, they're gonna do it. And then we all lined up and they did it for us then.
0: And they must have and been like, a... Oh, for fuck's sake, all right. Yeah,
1: it's like, All right, guys, come on <laughs> we'll do a hacker. But for us, it was like a spiritual moment, you know what I mean? We were all, they were really giving it some welly, and it was incredible to see it up close because they, you know, every time Kiwis do a hacker, it doesn't matter whether, you know, schoolboys or men's, they're really giving it some, some gusto. And and then we were all stood they going oh wow isn't it amazing do you know what I mean it's like a it's like a, a really powerful war, a, a war dance. and 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 they were like we were like oh my god fanta- it's fantastic oh it's amazing we've we've just we've just seen a hacker was fantastic and then um and then we played them and then we got absolutely blitzed they <laughs> absolutely stuffed us like about like about nineteen nil or something it was basically just like kick off and then they'd score and then kick off and then they'd score. And then at the end, we were like, thanks, guys, shaking hands and asking to swap shirts and stuff. It was just it was just brilliant fun. When you say and I mean, that, was
0: the, go on. That
1: was, the, that, was the, that was the introduction, really. So from that point of us not really knowing what the hell we were doing, we the, the, the sport then really sort of like grew and grew and grew. And so we played age groups then all the way through. So like over 30s, over 35s, over 40s, uh, right the way through up until a couple of years ago, I stopped playing.
0: So what... You said 19 nil there. How many points did you get for a try in touch? One. Now there you go. That's I'm just confirming for that one. What <laughs> you said there he was an excellent touch player, just because we don't talk about touch rugby much, just to finish on this. What what makes an excellent touch player?
1: Um well, you've got to have a body like a potato and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and pasta legs and uh, the mercurial ball-handling skills of Mark Ring. There you know, what you need, you need to be super fit because it's so fat. It's basically like rolling subs. It's like rugby league. Hmm. So you've got rolling subs, and, um, and, it's, and so it's really exhausting. And then you play like two or three games a day, 20-minute halves. Uh, so it's pretty brutal. So you just need to be really, really fit. And the quicker you are, the better. Which is why I played on the wing. Paradoxically, you don't need to be that fast to be on the wing in, in touch. It's like the least uh, the position where you're least vulnerable. Mm. But if you're playing across the the park, yeah, kind of like the the, the springier. What you realise is this, they're, they're all touch players are all springy. They're all about five foot nine, springy, athletic. They're all Jason type.
0: Robinson, basically different oh different God. variations of Jason Robinson.
1: Uh that would be the ideal touch player. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Or they're really tall and skinny, so about twelve stone, but about six foot four, <laughs> so they can just dive in really well. You know, so, so you see the body shapes that, that play the game in in the southern hemisphere. But it's you know, northern hemisphere is doing really good now and um, getting better and better.
0: And these things still, the, the touch World Cup, still a thing, isn't it? It's still going on. And...
1: Absolutely, yeah. and it, it is getting better, big, bigger and bigger and bigger. And it, they're all now streamed on. Uh TV so you get it over the internet. Um the European champs are now screened. Uh World Cups are all definitely screened. And it's such a brilliant sport. I mean it's taken me to South Africa, Australia, uh, you know, France, Italy, Scotland, just um playing all around the world. It was it's just wonderful. I'm really grateful for it.
0: I bet you wish you're still teaching history in Hillingdon though, let's be honest.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, just off I the A
0: forty, you know.
1: That's right. Yeah, the smell of the coffee from the Nestlé factory. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every morning driving up there, thinking, "Ah, oh, it'd be great to just drive off and go and sit in the services and read a book." <laughs> but like, I I've got to I got to get to the class. Because the bell's going to go at eight forty. So, Do you still uh, like
0: history? Is that something you're interested in, or did teaching drive it out of you?
1: Um, truth is, no. I mean, I, I, I got, um, I got so much respect for Ellis James, who is a comedian and friend of mine who is so well-read, and I am so badly read when it comes to history. <laughs> it's probably like best I, you
0: stop teaching then, isn't it, really?
1: <laughs> well, it, well, well, no, see, I was all right teaching because I, I was a good teacher, and as long as you're one or two lessons ahead of the kids, mm. then it's fine, the kids don't know, and so like, you, you know you, they're not losing out. It's just that I didn't have any knowledge, so I just didn't know anything. But as, if you prepare your lessons well enough, it looks like you know stuff.
0: Isn't that a condemnation of the inspectorate data-driven <laughs> education that we live in?
1: I don't know. No, I, I don't I know.
0: Think, I've got no idea he he's taking a piss. I think... I, mean, um,
1: uh,
0: I actually... Talk about not preparing yourself very well. I didn't do very well in my A-levels, and people don't believe me when I tell them this, and I do tell them this. My son's doing his A-levels now, and I'm talking about his work ethic. I completed A-level English literature without actually reading completely any of the <laughs> books. I treated all the books we were doing like a textbook. So I just like jump into pages (laughs) and try and read sections to see if that would get me through. It doesn't, kids, (laughs) as if any kids listen to this. But yeah,
1: I I did A level geography, and one of my geography teachers, they they split the course between them. One of them was supposed to teach us a course on rainforests, and he said, Don't worry about it, it's all common sense. And he didn't he didn't teach us it at all. I wouldn't even was...
0: know how you'd think about what com- how common sense applies to rains. Unbelievable!
1: Forests. Unbelievable! <laughs> in, in, in the week it rains in... exactly. A... <laughs> yeah, and it's a forest. There's some trees, I guess. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. But um, in the in the week going into the uh, our exam, he had a staple in year seven exams together. We hadn't done any revision, so uh, I phoned up. I phoned up the other the other geography teacher who was really good the night before, and I said, listen, uh, so-and-so, <laughs> I, can't, I can't say his name no, on, fine, uh, yeah, on a yeah. podcast. Uh, so-and-so hasn't taught us rainforest. He just said it's common sense. So my, <laughs> other, my, my other geography teacher said, um, all right, look, and he dictated an essay over the phone. Wow. Right? <laughs> and I jotted it all down. He said, right, learn that. He said, whatever the question is, just blend it around to that and you'll be fine. Uh, I went in, wrote
0: the essay, got an A. That reminds me of when I was at uni. So I'm talking about some rights stuff here, but when I was at uni, I did sociology, sociology. Um, and I was into Marxism then. Yeah. Because I was 18 and, you know, my family were minors and power. Yeah, people. Yeah, well, fair enough. And all Coming that.
1: back in a fashion.
0: <laughs> so, and I remember every single module I did, there was always a question that was, relate this module to Marxism. Yeah. So I essentially wrote the same essay, I think, for about three years. <laughs> you know, and no matter what the subject was, it was all caused by alienisa- <laughs> alienation. Basically, you know, that's yeah, what the root, that's what the root of everything was, because <laughs> of the base superstructure model of capitalism. You know,
1: it is weird, isn't it? That because in my, when I did my university degree, uh, I got a two two. I just scraped a two two, and the one paper that I got the most for, there was three questions I had to answer. One. I knew one I vaguely knew and the other one I had no clue. I don't just mean like no n- not much of a clue. No clue. So I made shit up. <laughs> I filled a page uh with I can't even remember. It was Germany. It was it was all it was it was all about Germany. And um and that was the one I got the, the highest marking, like 62%. And the others <laughs> that I'd revised and learnt, I got like, you know, low two two. So to so in the end it's like scraped a Scrape the 2-2. That's just bizarre, isn't it? It is. I don't know what any of that's got to do with rugby.
0: Nothing at all, but the, you listen to this podcast and people <laughs> who listen to it do know that tangents are what we're all about. So, Chris, that's been great. Thank you very much for your time.
1: Really oh, interesting
0: pleasure. rugby life you've had there, among other things. And um, we'll know that I'll speak to you soon and maybe have you on again. Thanks very much.
1: Oh, my pleasure. It's been an absolute joy, Leeds. Good laugh. Then uh, Yeah, I'd love to.